Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Just curious. It's okay if you admit this in church. I know it does say Baptist on the sign, but I think we'll be okay. How many people were bobbing their heads or kind of bobbing a little bit to that song an intro? Anyone? Anyone getting a little, you know, while it's going? No? Just a couple? Okay. All right. I was solo on that one. All right. Not really solo. There's a couple hands. I saw those sheepish hands. These hands here. This is the... I, I was doing it, but I don't want to admit it. This is a, I'm proud of it. I have no rhythm, and I was, you know, going at it. This is like, I don't raise my hand in church. What are you doing? Um, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at our second week of our series, Don't Be an Ugly Christmas Sweater. And uh, last week, we started off talking about our motivations, that we can have ugly motives during this time of year. And I want to encourage you, obviously, if you weren't able to be with us last week, uh, you can go online and find that on there on our app at North Goodland BC in your app store. Uh, you can also find that online at northgoodland.org. Um, and so if you missed last week, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, maybe you would invite someone that isn't part of a church right now, that isn't part of a body of Christ coming together this Christmas. Maybe you would invite them to tune in to be able to watch the sermons and watch the services and encourage them uh, with that. Uh, this morning, as we're continuing on in our second week, we're going to talk about, we talked about ugly motives last week. Uh, this morning, we're talking about ugly attitudes, ugly attitudes that can kind of creep up during this time of year. One of the best examples, as far as literature goes or is concerned, of an ugly attitude towards Christmas would be the character Scrooge from the famous uh, literary work, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Scrooge's attitude towards Christmas is best summed up in his famous line, which is what? Bah humbug, right? Just bah humbug. But why did Scrooge despise Christmas so deeply? Why did Scrooge have such an ugly attitude towards Christmas and the things of Christmas? Scrooge's attitude towards Christmas is, again, summed up in this phrase, bah humbug. But why? Why did he have this attitude? One reason that Ebenezer Scrooge has such a negative attitude towards Christmas could be the fact that in his youth, Christmas time was for him a negative experience. In his youth, Christmas time was a negative experience. It was not something filled with good memories, but in fact filled with bad memories, which caused him to feel a true hatred for the season. In stave two, when the ghost takes Scrooge back into his past, he sees his old classmates who say Merry Christmas to each other, but what was Christmas to Scrooge? What good had it ever done to him? Scrooge reflects, for he was left behind at the school because his father would not come for him. The, the line goes something like this. It was a lonely boy who was reading near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he had used to be. Scrooge was taken back into his past and he was reminded of some memories from his childhood and they weren't great memories. He saw himself sitting alone by a feeble fire because his own father wouldn't even come and see him. For Ebenezer Scrooge, Christmas has brought loneliness and sadness to him as he recalls his youth when he was left at the school alone with only stories to cheer him and entertain him. Often tragic experiences in our youth are so often imprinted upon people to such an extent that they never overcome them. They never truly get past them. And such is the case with Scrooge. We too can have memories from our youth or maybe things from our not so distant past 
that tend to give us a negative or bad attitude towards the things of Christmas. So let me ask you this morning, as we kind of start to unpack this idea of an ugly attitude towards Christmas, towards the things of Christmas or the joy of Christmas, do you have something in your past that has kind of tinted or hindered your attitude towards Christmas to where now, because of something that happened when you were a kid or maybe the way you grew up or maybe because Christmas wasn't really a joyful time, Maybe for you, it's this not so great time of year, because when you think about Christmas, you're reminded of all these negative things from your youth. Maybe it's your not so distant past. Maybe it's last Christmas. Maybe it's a couple Christmases ago that something happened or you lost a loved one or something happened in your life where, where your attitude towards Christmas is just not what it used to be. You just can't seem to get past that and see past those things. I remember we were watching, um, Friday night, we were watching uh, the Santa Claus two with Tim Allen. Okay. Now to me, this is just my personal opinion. You can argue with me and be wrong. That's fine. Um, Santa Claus one, obviously the original. It's amazing, right? Got to love Santa Claus. Okay. Uh, Santa falls off the roof and all of this, right? Um, Tim Allen becomes Santa Claus. Then there's Santa Claus three, right? That's got Jack Frost in it. Classic. Gotta love Santa Claus three. Two for me, isn't my favorite one. Just going to be honest. I don't know if you're like me on that regard, but it's okay. Um, but there's a, there's a scene in there where if you remember in Santa Claus two, when Tim Allen, and I forget, uh, the woman he ends up marrying that Mr. Claus ends up marrying or Santa Claus ends up marrying. Um, I forget her name, but, but they're riding in that like uh, horse drawn sleigh. And she was talking about her youth talking about when she was a kid. And she said that her parents were divorced and that it wasn't always a great thing, but they used to fight all the time. And she actually made the statement. She said, Christmas day was the only day we actually kind of looked forward to because it was the one day they chose not to fight to try to make it special for us. And I remember I thought about that. I thought, man, so many people have grown up or are living in situations where Christmas doesn't make everything better. This is the thing you got to realize just because it's Christmas doesn't mean the pain goes away, right? The hurt, the stress, the trial, the struggle, the loss. So this morning is not about me telling you, if you have a bad attitude about Christmas, just get over it. Just deal with it. Just get over it. What's your problem? It's about all of us coming together to realize whatever those things are that have tainted our view of Christmas, we don't have to allow those things to control us. That we can choose in Christ, if we know him as our savior, to have joy even in the midst of some of our hurts and our bad memories that we can allow God to strengthen us over time to where we will have a good attitude about Christmas because our attitude is not based in our memories or our past or our finances or the gifts. It's based in Christ. And it's not about, Oh, just get over it. It's about, no, let God strengthen you to move beyond it. But listen, it takes time. It's not this quick, easy light switch situation. And so I want to make sure we set the stage appropriately because I believe some of us are in different stages of life and we've gone through different things as we all have. And some of us, Christmas time is, is not the best time of the year. But let me just encourage you because of something that's happened in the past or the not so distant past or recently, it doesn't have to rob you of your joy. We can choose to have joy because if we look beyond those things and realize that Christmas is so much more than just a memory, Christmas is a reality that Christ came to this world to die for sinners. And that man, when we receive Christ our savior, we have eternal life. I know this life is not perfect. You know, I've heard it said, and it is true that holidays have this 
ability to heighten whatever we're going through. If we're really excited, things are going well, man, holidays kind of heighten or intensify that emotion. But if we're not doing so good or we're not feeling the best or we've gone through some things, then a holiday can do just the same thing, only heighten those emotions. But this is where we've said this for so long. But guys, it's got to be more than something we just say in church. This is where truth has to lead emotion. We can't let emotion lead truth. Right? See, when emotion leads truth, we live in experience and we die in experience. But when truth leads emotion, there's emotion and there's joy and there's all these feelings. But when truth leads emotion, we rest in the solid, trustworthy word of God to say this is truth. That Jesus Christ came, was born into a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a sinner's cross, was buried and rose again. And those who receive Christ will have eternal life. And Romans 8 Man, if there's a passage I can encourage you to understand, Romans 8, that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That in Christ, nothing, no trial, no circumstance, no persecution, no sickness, no nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so if we find ourselves like Scrooge this morning, if your attitude is just bah humbug, and the reason is because of either something that happened in your past or something currently that you feel like you need, I said it on Facebook, and it's still true today. I know so many parents that stress to a, to a huge degree to try to find that gift and this thing and get it on sale and do this and do that so they can have the perfect Christmas present. Man, it's great to look for a gift. Isn't there, there's kind of a joy, isn't there, when you find that perfect gift? You know what I'm talking about? When you work at it and you've searched and you've looked and you go, yes. But sometimes we can let that desire for giving that gift to stress us and burden us. And now it's like, if I don't get this gift, my kids are going to be unhappy. If I don't get this gift, they're going to be mad at me. Not really, but we feel this way. I've got to get this gift so it can be perfect. Some of you are wired that way. Some of you are perfect, have to be perfect people, right? It's everything's got to be perfect. Nope. Perfect. Okay. Like if I walked into your house and I took one of your spatulas and I opened the drawer and I pulled it out and I opened this drawer and I put it over here. And you did your dishes and you go to put that spatula, another spatula away. And you're like, where's my other, what, what's it doing in this drawer? Okay. If that's you, then sometimes this time of year can really stress us out, but you got to stop and go, listen, your family, your kids would rather have your joyful presence than any present you put under that tree. So don't stress your family out to make it perfect. It's not here. I'll give you a newsflash. You ready? It's not going to be. It's going to be gone when you go to buy that thing. You're not going to find it on sale. It won't ship in time. Amazon will lie to you. (laughs) It is not today. I don't know what they're talking about. It's not coming. Okay. It will arrive on December 27th. That's just how it goes. And it'll be the wrong size. Let's just let that in there. Okay. By the way, I'll give a little tip to any men in here. If you're, if you're like, you know, young man and you're dating or you want to get married and you got this girl, you know, if you're going to think about clothing, gift card, don't just buy the clothing. Trust me on this. Okay. You're only going to hurt yourself in the long run. Just, just give the gift card. Okay. And go, Hey, listen, whatever you want, it's all yours. Okay. Actually, when I was dating Sandra, the the thing to go or the place to go was, um, Bath and Body Works. Okay. Now, I know like malls apparently aren't popular anymore. Like nobody goes to the mall apparently. But um, you could go in there and they would give you a basket 
Some of the guys remember these baskets. We loved these baskets, right? Everything was in there and all the scents went together because I didn't have to pick them out, right? I would literally walk in and be like, I'll take one of those and, and that and that candle. That's great. Done. Like $35 and we're walking out with a great gift, okay? So that's just all free. That's not even in the notes. That's just, if you want to write that down, feel free. Gift bags too. Don't try to wrap it. Just put it in a gift bag. They have them in all kinds of sizes. Tissue paper. Fluff it a little. Done. Okay? It's all good. Okay? That's just all Christmas advice. But when we think about Christmas, sometimes, again, we can have these very ugly attitudes. It's a very bah humbug attitude. And so I want to look at an example from Scripture of a type of attitude. Now, I'm not saying this is exhaustive or, or the only way we can feel sometimes, but, but I believe that this is a great example of some attitudes that we can display during this time of year. If we feel the temptation to have a bah humbug attitude, let's make a choice. This is the thing I want to get at. Let's make a choice to change our focus, to change our attitude. Because Christ is in you, you are not a victim to have to feel this or that way. Christ can give you the strength to overcome. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be instant, but it can happen as we continually look to him for his strength and wisdom. So I want to look at this example. Luke chapter 2, look at verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this example that we're going to read about in Scripture, that you put this on, uh, in your word, in print for us. You, you revealed this to us for a purpose. I pray that we would understand at a deeper level these things that are revealed through Scripture. But, Lord, I pray that we would apply it to our lives that we would make a choice in Christ to have an attitude that would reflect the true joy of this time of year. And Lord, I know, as we've already said, Lord, there are those that are struggling, those that are disheartened by different things that are going on. Lord, I pray that they would know that um, we don't look at those things in a flippant attitude. We don't look at it as just a, a kind of a whatever attitude, Lord. We, we, we understand that, that pain and hurt is real. But I pray, Lord, we would not allow ourselves to be imprisoned by those emotions, to be imprisoned and held in bondage by those maybe not so great memories when we were kids or maybe not even not so distant things that have happened. But that we would, by your grace, as a testimony of only what you can do in us, that we would rise above those things. That we would still understand that there's going to be a timetable here. There might be some things that need to be walked out. But, Lord, as a whole, we can get our eyes and our mind, and Lord, most importantly, our attitudes fixed on you. And through that, you will strengthen us and give us a wisdom, not of this world, but of your heavens. And so, Lord, I pray that in all these things, you would be glorified as you speak to us and affirm these things in our hearts and minds. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we read an amazing encounter, okay? An amazing encounter. This is of Simeon or Simon with the infant Christ. He's going to encounter the infant Christ. And I truly believe we can glean a lot from this moment and how our attitude for and toward Christ can be this Christmas. So the first thing we have to note is an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. Verses 25 through 27, we read verse 25. Let's look at it again. 
Verse 25 of Luke 2. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, then it says in verse 28, then took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Now we're going to pause right there and we're going to get to the rest of this in just a minute. Some of you are reading on because of your personality. You're like, I got to know what he said. Don't do that to me. Okay. But here we see this amazing encounter. And I want to look for just a minute at Simon or Simeon and see what we learn here. So the Bible tells us that he was a devout man and he was waiting for something. He's waiting for what's called the consolation of Israel. This is a messianic hope. He's waiting for the Messiah. He's prayed and waited for this moment to see the Lord's Christ. This was actually a common Jewish prayer. Many Jewish uh, individuals would pray this prayer that they would not die until they see the consolation of Israel. That's an amazing thing to think about. We live in a day and age where we can look back to the cross, right? We see the fulfilled work of Christ. We don't have to pray, Lord, I pray I don't die before I see what you're really going to do and see the Messiah. Now you may say, but I've never seen the Messiah. I've never seen Jesus face to face. We have revealed to us the word of God. And this is, according to Peter, this is more accurate than even their own experiences. He says, yeah, we've seen Christ. We've touched Christ. We've heard, but we have a more sure word of prophecy, the word of God. And so when we look into the word of God and reread these accounts, and actually, interestingly enough, Luke is an amazing, historically accurate account of the birth of Christ. Because when you read Luke 1, you find out Luke is doing all of this to give an historic account of the life and ministry of Christ. Uh, Luke is also the author of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And Luke's whole premise in both writings, in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, is to give a reliable source to say, look, you can go check all this out. You can go research all of this. Here, he even tells you in chapter 1, here's who was in charge and here what was going on. And and when you read Luke 2, you kind of see when it says in uh, verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Why does Luke tell us that, that Caesar Augustus was in charge and this decree went out to, to kind of take a census of all the land? Because anybody could read this in, in the time following its writing and look back in the history and the records and go, oh, yeah, I see exactly where this took place. So we see here this is a historically accurate account. We can trust this. We may not have seen Christ with our eyes physically, but we can read the very encounters and the ministry and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the Jewish individuals at this time, they had not seen that. Uh, By the way, they've waited a long time for this messianic hope, have they not? Man, we're going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when God gave the promise of a coming Messiah. Then you see from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New, about a 400-year period where there was no prophet. No one spoke for God. God had not spoken from heaven. And now here we see this reality that Jesus has come. Another interesting point to note here is the father answered Simon's prayer. He answered Simon's prayer and told him he answered his prayer. 
Here we see the very character of God hearing and responding to our prayers. Isn't that what it says there in the text that he prayed that he would not die until he saw Christ and the spirit made known to him that would in fact happen? I love this about the character of God. That when we cry out to God in Christ and we ask from him to do this or that thing, to move in this or that way, to bring healing, to bring comfort, to bring joy, to change our perspective. And then God makes us aware, as only he can by the work of the Holy Spirit, that he not only heard your prayer, but he answered your prayer. Let me just stop for a second and pause here and time out and say, how, have, how has it made you feel or how have you responded in your own life? You don't got to answer out loud. When you, in the stillness of your own heart, knew that God had answered your prayer. And the worship that overflows from that, the beauty that comes out of that, the humility, amen? When you, when you know God has heard your prayer, and then he actually said, I'm going to answer that prayer. I'm going to respond to what you're asking me to do as the creator God of all things. It's amazing to realize that Simon worshiped God in this way. But we see it goes on here in the text in verse 28 and 29. Not only was Simon a follower of God, but we also see that Simon was content after seeing Christ. Look at verse 28 again. Then took he, he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now pause for a second here. If you're Mary and Joseph, you're used to kind of odd things happening, right? I mean, remember shepherds showing up? Mary just had a child. Pfft, hey, we just had some angels come in and tell us about you guys. Can we sit with you for a little while and praise God together? Sure. I'm sure every woman in here, right after you gave birth, would love for, say, I don't know, 10, 15 shepherds to come busting in the hospital door. Hey, what's going on in here? We just heard some crazy things from some angels about this kid. Yeah, I'm so sure. You'd probably just be like, listen, I'm not what you'd call presentable right now. Could you maybe 10 minutes? Can you give me some window here? Okay. But here we see these things happen all the time. Could you imagine if you're Mary and Joseph and you're coming up with baby Jesus? and Oh, so baby Jesus. And this person you don't know. Just comes up and goes, oh, you're the Messiah, and raises him to the heavens, right? Like kind of like Simba in Lion King, right? Mary and Joseph just go with it. They're like, okay. It kind of reminds me when, when Anthony was first born, we, we put him in the nursery. And we weren't one of these parents that, you know, some parents, I get it. You want your kid with you. And, oh, that's so nice. We were like, how quickly can we put the child in the nursery? Like, what's the rule on this? Can we get him in? Does he have to be able to, you know, can he sleep in there? What's the deal? So anyway, so we go first Sunday, one of the first Sundays we put him in the nursery. We go to get our child from the nursery and he's gone. Lights are off. No workers, no Anthony, no nothing. And this is, by the way, our church was running, I don't know, probably around like 250 people at this time. So the lobby's pretty full of people. And we're just like, I go get Sandra. Do you have the, you don't have the child. I don't have the kid. Where's the kid? Where's the, where's our son? Someone stole our child. How horrible of a parents are we? Day one, someone took our kid. Gone. And I'll never forget, I think it was Ann Rummery, was just happened to just be like, oh, I'll just go walk around with Anthony for a while. And she's just wandering the lobby with our newborn son. It was so funny. I was like kind of freaking out. Sandra's like, I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure they'll return him soon enough, you know? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm sure she was somewhat panicked, I'm, I'm guessing, but... But when you think about this idea, like, I mean, they just go with it. That's one of the parts of the story that I've always been like, where does Joseph or Mary go? Excuse me, can you put my child down, please? Thank you. It goes on to say this. Let's, let's read it together. Verse 29. Lord, now let us thou, thy servant, depart in peace 
according to thy word. Now, that's not, that phrase might not jump out to you, but listen to what Simeon or Simon is saying here. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. And you know what he's saying? I'm okay if this was the last thing I ever see and the last breath I ever take. I'm good. I could go be with him now. Like, I'm so content right now. I'm so at peace right now. He literally did not need or desire anything else in the world because the greatest desire he ever had was fulfilled. His greatest desire was to see the Christ, to see Messiah. And he says to God in a form of prayer, okay, God, you fulfilled my deepest longings. What else could I possibly need? I'm good. I can depart in peace. This attitude goes in direct opposition to the attitude we see from literature in our character Scrooge. And his example, was he content before his moment of revelation? Was he at peace? No, he always wanted more, always wanted more. And that's our culture today. Uh, How much money do you need to be happy? Just $1 more. That's our culture today. Just a little more, just a little more, just a little more. And then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. But when we base our contentment in circumstances and things out here or what's in our bank account or what's in our driveway or what we live under as far as a roof over our head or what we put on our body, you'll never be content. Let's just be real for a minute. You'll never be content when you base your contentment on all these external things because you'll always see the new thing, the better thing, the best thing, and then you'll want that because if your contentment is based in the external, it'll never be satisfied. However, when our contentment is based in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the personal work of Christ, this is how we can walk in Christ and have such a peace in Christ that no matter what we lose externally, we still are content to say, Lord, I'm good. Lord, I'm good. Now, this is not a pretend everything is fine type attitude because it's Christmas. It's not a kind of contentment that's like, oh, no, no, I, yeah, I know it's really bad right now, but everything's fine. Everything's good. This kind of putting on the mask type contentment. This is an actual realization that when I have Christ, I truly have all I need. So let me ask you to pause here real quick, because I feel like in sermons sometimes you can kind of just get in this kind of going with the flow thing and we don't stop and go, wait a minute, how am I going to apply that to my life? God, how are you speaking to me right there? So let's do what I would call a little application moment right there between you and God. Let me ask you a question. You don't kind of answer out loud, but I answer between you and the Lord in your heart. What is your greatest, deepest longings or desires? Like, what is that thing you long for? What is that thing that you desire above all else? What is that thing that if you think if you had it, you'd actually be happier than you are right now? If I can just be maybe a little brutally honest, as I know God is with me in many times of my life, if anything, it answers that question other than the personal work of Jesus Christ, you'll never be fulfilled. You'll never be satisfied. If it's a person, if it's a spouse, if it's promotion, you're always going to be want or always feel wanting and feel lack. Because if it's not Christ, it'll never be fulfilled. But when it's Christ, that's our longing, our deepest desire. Man, when we realize we've already had that fulfilled through the salvation that he gives unto us, and now we're growing in that through the relationship we have, man, then we can be content. And when things come in from our, into our lives, blessings of God, we can praise God. When things are taken away, we can praise God. And it's what Paul says, right? Paul says, I have learned, I love this. He didn't just know it. He says, I've learned this, that whatsoever state I am, therewith I will be content. 
whether I'm full or whether I'm starving, I will be content. And this is what Simon displays. There may still be grief this Christmas over the loss of a loved one. There may be sadness due to past memories of past Christmases. Those are natural parts of living in a fallen world. However, our attitude changes in its focus when we realize that we are content, not because we have all the physical things we think we need, but we are content in the midst of all those things because I have Christ. I have tasted and seen the salvation of the Lord, and it is good. It is good. So first of all, our Christmas attitude should be and can be one of gratitude as well as an attitude of evangelism, an attitude of evangelism. Let's look at verses 30 through 32. As we continue to read this amazing encounter that, that happens between the infant Christ and this amazing individual. Listen to what he says here in verse 30. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. When we understand that we have an attitude of gratitude and an attitude of evangelism, we will see Christ for who he really is, and we cannot help but declare his praise and his glory. We cannot help but declare his praise and his glory. We praise that he is the only way of salvation for all people. I mean, isn't that what Simon says here? Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which, the Lord, which has been prepared before uh, the face of all people. I mean, Jesus says this, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We like to think there's many ways of salvation, but the Bible's clear. Jesus is clear. Either Jesus was insane and lying, or saying insane or lying, or he was telling the truth. And I tend to believe he was telling the truth. There's only one way of salvation. It's his way of salvation, and it's through Jesus Christ. And this is where culture says, well, who is God to dare to tell me how I get to his heaven? Well, that's a pretty easy answer. It's his heaven. You go make your own heaven, then you can decide how you want people to get there. It's, it's so clear. Thy salvation, which you've prepared before all people, there's only one salvation and only way, one way of salvation. And when we see Christ for who he really is, and we see Christmas for what it really is, we will declare his praise and his glory. But not only that, we will make him known to all people. We will make him known to all people. Simon says here, a light to the Gentiles. A light to the Gentiles. Now, this is a bold statement to make of the Messiah while standing outside the temple where Gentiles were not even allowed into the inner court, let alone the Holy of Holies. And he makes a bold declaration that you are the Messiah, a light to lighten the Gentiles, declared on the steps of the temple, the house of God. I'm praying about doing a little kind of couple week series in January called 21st Century Temples. Some, it came across my desk, this idea for a series that I was reading some articles on. I thought it was really, really cool. But this temple stands as the house of God. And Gentiles were seen as less than the Jews because, well, they're not of God's people. So they weren't allowed the, the access the Jews were allowed. And yet here we see this declaration that the Messiah will lighten the light to the Gentiles. That those outside of the Jewish faith will come to know Christ. We see that this is kind of the character of the ministry of Christ. Again, we see this with the shepherds all the way through to the woman at the well. The ministry of Christ is for all peoples, not merely a select few religious or the ones we decide to deserve to hear the gospel. 
I want to note here in verse 25, we said here that the Holy Spirit was upon him. But notice how the Holy Spirit agrees with the angels in the field that Christ is good news for all people. It seems God is in complete agreement that there is no one beyond the reach of his grace. And the Holy Spirit is in complete agreement from the declaration of the angels, which was inspired by God himself, the message of God, all the way through to this proclamation that Jesus will be a light to the Gentiles. And by the way, we should really praise God for that. Because the last time I checked, this is a room full of Gentiles. So the reason you know Christ, the reason it's even been brought to you, that the gospel was even proclaimed to you is because Christ so saw fit to bring it to us. That he decided to make himself known to us. Maybe you have come uh, this morning and you've not made that conclusion for yourself. You've not drawn that conclusion. You've not realized that Christ's love, grace, and salvation is for you. You feel as though you're not good enough. You've not done enough. You can't do enough. That you've sinned too much. Then can I encourage you with something? Let his spirit, the one that inspired the message to the shepherds and the one that inspired this messagery today, to also convict you this morning and make known to you the truth that Christ's love and grace is for all peoples. That includes you and your sin. That includes you right where you are. That includes you and all your crazy, screwed up life. But you don't know what I've done, Pastor. I mean, you don't know how I've hurt people. That's fine. I don't need to know. God knows. And he says, I can forgive that sin. There is no sin beyond his grace. The book of Romans tells us that where sin abound, grace much more abounds. I love that. It super abounds. In the midst of our sin, we see a grace for forgiveness. So maybe you've not come to that conclusion this morning. Then would you pray right there where you are and say, God, make that clear to me by the working of your Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here this morning and you know Christ, praise God. And this, this is an amazing time for you because you can celebrate the birth of your Savior, but you know someone who doesn't know Christ. And I'd have to ask you, do you really believe the Gospels for them? Do you really believe the Gospels for them? Or do you believe that because they don't fit your mold of what you think they should or shouldn't be or whatever it might be, that the Gospel is really not for them? Then let me encourage you, you do you really have an attitude of evangelism this Christmas? And do we have an attitude of evangelism? See, the reality is when we have the right attitude towards Christmas, we will understand the true meaning of Christmas. And I think that makes the big difference. When you have the right attitude towards Christmas, you will understand the true meaning of Christmas. And a lot of people might ask, what is the meaning of Christmas? I want to show you something that kind of explains this to us. What is the meaning of Christmas? I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel 
a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I guess you were right, Linus. The tree. It really is that simple, isn't it? It, it really is that easy. And I know I, I love that Charlie Brown special because I love that Linus stands and proudly declares, and this is the meaning of Christmas. And I, here's what I love about that. There's no confusion about that. He doesn't say, I think this is the meaning. For some, this is the meaning. Maybe for you, it's the meaning of Christmas, but the meaning of Christmas has always been the same. It is about Christ coming to those that needed him most and giving to us the wonderful gift of salvation. I had to show that clip. I feel like you can't go Christmas or go go Christmas season without watching that because it really is that simple. Christmas is about declaring his praise and glory and an attitude of evangelism. But finally, Christmas is also about making a choice. Christmas is about making a choice. Uh, Verses 33 through 35. Let's look at it together as we kind of finish out this story, this encounter. So as all this is happening, this declaration has been made, verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, spoken of Christ. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And this is a powerful moment. Not only for Mary and Joseph, but specifically for Mary. You see, Christmas is about making a choice. What is the choice? The people of Israel have to make a choice about who Christ is. There will come a point where people, the people of Israel have to make a choice. Who is this Christ? Christ will become a stumbling block for some and a salvation stone for others. Some will hear of Christ and not believe. We see this all through the ministry of Christ, do we not? Thousands and multitudes would follow him and that they followed him because their stomachs were filled, not because they desired to have their souls filled. They followed him for a handout, not because they believed he was the Messiah. Others followed Christ and came to faith in Christ and believed and trusted in Christ. Not only the disciples and the apostles, but also we'll pick Nicodemus as an example of a religious leader that came to know Christ. You see, Christ is about making a choice. For some, it's a stumbling block. They, they tripped over him, they fell over him, but they still had to encounter him. We don't get to get around Jesus without making a choice of some kind. Some chose to receive him as Savior, therefore he became a salvation stone for them. The sign miracle here in this passage means not so much a demonstration of power, but the revelation of truth. He says there'll be a sign unto them that he's going to deliver truth to them and it will be obvious and clear. Not only do the people of Israel have to make a choice, but Mary has to make a choice. And I think this gets overlooked sometimes, but I, I think the moms and the grandmas and those that have had children, the women in here today would understand this a little bit better maybe than most. You see, Simeon gives a pretty powerful prophecy to Mary as well. We'll read it again in verse 35. 
Uh, verse 34 and verse 35, he talks about how he blessed them and said unto Mary. And he talked about the rising and falling. And then verse 35, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul. A sword's going to pierce through you, Mary. Now, I find it interesting, and obviously we don't know what happens to Joseph between the, the raising of Christ and as a child to the ministry of Christ where Joseph's just not on the scene. Lots of speculation, lots of ideas. We don't know. But I find it interesting that here the prophecy does not include Joseph. Because the spirit of God who's giving him the words to say knows Joseph won't be there at the cross. And so he's giving this message to Mary. We always think of Jesus's choice, which is important that Jesus came and gave himself for us. But Mary had to choose to agree with God in what would happen to her own son. The word sword gives the idea of a large sword. This would be like what Goliath in the Old Testament would have carried. We're talking a massive sword. And the idea or the verb of piercing gives the idea of constantly or keep on piercing. It's not piercing once, it's a multitude of piercings. Keep piercing, to constantly pierce through. So what is Simeon telling Mary here? Mary, there's going to come a point where what's going to happen to Jesus Christ, what's going to happen to your son, will feel like a sword, a giant, massive sword piercing through your soul. And it won't just happen once, it will happen multiple times. And I'll think forward, or fast forward a little bit, think ahead to the cross when Mary sees her own son hanging on a cross, beaten, tormented, all for the salvation of you and I. And can you imagine, I don't know a better way to describe the pain she felt than that sword illustration piercing through her very soul. But yet, can we just stop and praise God that Mary and Joseph, while Joseph was in the picture, raised Jesus according to God's will. That Mary endured her own pain and suffering because she knew this was the plan of God for Jesus. This was the plan of God for her and for the world. You see, Jesus is about making choices. So we have a choice to make as well this Christmas. First and foremost, have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, then let me ask you to be honest with yourself. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? You don't have to, to worry about being too bad, not good enough. God can forgive. Let's choose Christ. But here's the thing. If you refuse to choose Christ, that's a choice. If I choose to deny Christ, I've made a choice. You see, it's, it's a choice either way. We don't get around Jesus. We will encounter Jesus. And you might say, well, what about those who have never heard the gospel or don't have a chance to know? One day they will stand before him and he will be their judge and they will have made their choice. You see, we all will encounter Jesus at some point, whether this side of heaven or that side of heaven. The idea of an attitude, we talk about ugly attitudes. Attitude refers to a set of emotions, beliefs, and behaviors toward a particular object, person, thing, or event. So what are your beliefs and behaviors towards Christmas? What are your emotions when you think of what Christ did for you and for me in coming to us as he did that not-so-silent night? Would you describe your attitude this Christmas as ugly, as, as bah humbug-ish because of whatever's happened in the past, whatever's happening now, and I understand it, but would you realize that you don't have to live there? That man, by God's grace, we can have an attitude that is beautiful and reflects the true point and meaning of Christmas. Let's allow the right kind of attitude to be evident to those around us.
when we sense that ugly attitude rising up, let's be grateful and missional in our attitudes. When we sense that ugly attitude rising up, let's be grateful, number one, because he came for you. And let's be missional in our attitudes to make sure others know that he came for them. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, as we come before you today, Lord, I believe that we can keep it kind of simple this morning. And Lord, that's really going to be the challenge. It's simple, it's direct, but I pray that we would respond honestly and openly. Are our attitudes this Christmas, are they attitudes that are grateful no matter the circumstance, that are grateful because you came to us, because Emmanuel, God with us, we beheld the glory of the only begotten Son of God. Is it, is it a grateful attitude, even though our past, Lord, maybe even our present isn't what we want it to be, isn't ideal, but we can be grateful because in the midst of that and the storm and the trial and everything else, nothing changes your truth that you came for us and that we put our faith and trust in you. We have eternity awaiting us in your presence and in your joy, but also this side of heaven, you are with us, walking with us, filling us with your spirit, filling us with your peace and your joy. Lord, I know it's not a light switch. We just flip on and off, but I pray that you would give wisdom to those that are struggling right now to surrender it to you, to realize that, yes, in the grief and in the loss and in the pain and in the hurt, we can rise above those things. Not because we're good enough, strong enough, but because you're, you're able to give us that ability to rise up. So Lord, help us have an attitude of gratitude, but also Lord, help us to have a missional attitude to declare that you are the salvation to all peoples. And may we go into this week with an open heart and mind, looking for opportunities to declare the most amazing gift is the gift of salvation. And so, Lord, our challenge this morning is simple, and I pray that people would respond either there in their seats or here at the altar. What's our attitude like? An ugly attitude is allowing things that have happened to us to control us and to allow us to affect people in a negative way. But a beautiful attitude is one of gratitude and missions, one of thankfulness and evangelism. And so maybe there's somebody here this morning, Lord, that is feeling that pull and you'd encourage them to have a different attitude and they would make that decision this morning for your glory. Father, bless now this time. Give us an openness, Lord, before you, Holy Spirit. We don't have to invite you here. We don't have to convince you to work. You are working already because the word was declared and we are the body of Christ. We pray that we would respond to you. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray they'd come to know you and receive you before it's everlasting too late. Father, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation?